to this episode of our new AWS podcast series, Innovation Ambassadors. I'm Sarah Armstrong, and as Senior Manager for Worldwide Prototyping at AWS, I'll act as your ambassador to some of the most interesting engagements with our AWS prototyping teams. Today on Innovation Ambassadors, we journey to the exciting world of professional basketball and explore an innovative approach that the National Basketball League of Australia is taking to bring the energy and enthusiasm of live crowds back into the stadium to enhance fan engagement through connected technology solutions. I'd like to welcome to the studio our special guest, Tony Skinner, Director of Broadcast Production at National Basketball League Australia. Welcome, Tony. Thanks very much, Sarah. Very happy to be with you. And also joining us is Martin Payne, Senior Prototyping Engineer from our ANZ Prototyping Team. Thanks for being here, Martin. Hi, Sarah. Thank you. Well, first, Tony, for our international audience, can you tell us a little bit about Australia's National Basketball League? Certainly. The Australian National Basketball League covers uh, Australia and New Zealand. We have nine teams, one based in New Zealand and eight teams based across Australia. Um, And uh, we have seen in the uh, past five years a very dramatic growth in uh, in support for the sport. Um, And uh, we... we, uh, challenged in these current times with uh, maintaining our uh, fan engagement and also creating an enhanced broadcast product. Sure. Now, as I understand it, halfway through your 2020 season, Tony, you found yourself in the middle, as many of us did, of a public health crisis. And for health considerations, you had to to cut that season short. I think a lot of people crave that return to normalcy, don't they, in their day-to-day lives. And for sports fans, of course, that sense of belonging and community often comes from following their teams. Can you tell us a little bit about your vision for bringing that engagement and sport back into people's lives? We were very lucky in the sense that we got three of our five game playoff series completed before COVID shut us down. Um, and then very quickly we moved into a, uh, a state of um, how do we get our sporting code back uh, for the next season and how do we create some opportunities in our off-season. And so we, we started a process of uh, internal development uh, initially, um, looking at opportunities, COVID-driven opportunities for us to be able to play sport. We have um, sports betting partners that are involved in our sport. We have lots of sponsors that are involved. Uh, we had broadcasters who were craving sport, live sporting content. So we, 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 there was a real commercial imperative to, to, to sort of knuckle down and think, think through this and, and see what we could create. Um, and that, that led us towards, um, we, we not only have the National Basketball League, we also, uh, in partnership with Basketball Australia, we, um, we hold the rights to 3x3, which is half-court basketball, mm-hmm. um, taking its place in the Olympics, these next Olympics for the first time. Um, so we, we set about creating a, uh, a, a special tournament with one of our broadcasters to be able to deliver a, a one year out from the Tokyo Olympics special sporting event that was a 3x3 week long tournament um, and, uh, and we began a process of developing what that could look like, what it might be mm-hmm. um, and how to actually achieve it in COVID times. Before you even got engaged with AWS to take it to the next level, you'd already done a fair amount of work, hadn't you, in terms of bringing the fans into the court with the players? 
Absolutely. We so we we visualised. I mean, we we working in the broadcast space. What we do is we get that opportunity. What would it look like? How would we achieve it? So we put a lot of work in, and we ended up shooting a series of promos that would uh, would service our commercial teams to to sell sponsorship. That gave some understanding to our broadcast partner on what the event would look like. So we had actually created uh, the visual premise, which was a. 3x3 court, which is half basketball court, set up in a traditional television studio, uh, and we we encased that on three sides with five metre high LED screens, which is where we had visualised we would have a live uh, virtual audience, or a, not, not so much virtual, but a, a, certainly a live audience streaming in, mm-hmm. um, based on our our simplified knowledge of uh, everybody working through COVID times with Zoom and Microsoft Teams and apps like that. So, Tony, I love the fact that you did a promo video. It really reminds us uh, one of our core mechanisms that we use at AWS and Amazon is the PRFAQ. So whenever we're going to build something, we first write the press release for what we're going to build and then we build it. And so you've done the same thing here, just video, right? Oh, that's that's correct. In the world of broadcast television, you create it, you visualize it, you sell it, then you make it. I love it. So, Martin, you're the point guard on this engagement as Tony and his team come to you. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, the appropriate description for this for this context, Sarah. Um, yes, I was the point guard. Uh, came in as the tech lead for the the engagement, um, and it was it's you know we do the prototyping engagements as a essentially define the business challenge first, then work backwards towards a technical approach. And that's how we kicked this one off. And, and Tony was saying they'd done a lot of, a really impressive amount of thinking about fan engagement and broadening out fan engagement even before the COVID uh, restrictions were put in place. So there was lots of potential approaches we could look at with the team. So we we kicked off the the prototyping with some workshops and sat down with them and we're just working through the ideas and seeing what the limitations are and yeah how how we could best deliver that fan buzz into mm-hmm. uh, into a studio with a, a live game so the the players could react to it and and have some sense of that real feel that that you'd have with them actually in the stadium and you shared that you researched a little bit about how other teams or mm. other yeah, so there's two things. There's obviously there's the sports codes here. Um, Australian Football League had, had done some uh, kind of, I guess, tests of, of putting full-size printouts of fans into seats. Yeah. But these were static images. They looked sure. real enough on a broadcast, but there was no sound. And it's still, you could almost see tumbleweeds in the stadium when you watch the broadcast. And then Tony's crew had um, looked at the example of the, the European Soccer League I think Danish team who'd done an experiment um, streaming, live streaming a select group of fans straight into a screen in the stadium through Zoom. So that's that live live stream of fans approach was what we really started as our our goal to deliver. Mm -hmm. Um, And working through that, there was some local regulatory um, hurdles around betting that made that uh, doing a fully live fan stream really um, more complex in Australia. Mm. Tony, talk a little bit about that those regulatory requirements that you needed to take into consideration. 
the NBL has a uh, has a relationship uh, like most sporting codes do with uh, uh, sports betting agencies, um, and what comes with that association, apart from the commercial drivers, is the uh, is the requirement to adhere to a strict set of rules, and those strict set of rules primarily deal with. Um, any delays, uh, any delays from an, an actual live action happening um, and then all of the processes it goes through, whether it's delivered via satellite, whether it's encoded into a uh, RTMP stream for, um, for live streaming, all of those processes have to fit within certain time period. And when I say time period, we're talking uh, one or two seconds and mm-hmm. uh, each step, therefore, can only deal with milliseconds in its processing. So a considerable challenge, um, all sure. built around the security of the, uh, of the process. Martin, how did those security requirements really impact the approach you took to the architecture for this mm. solution? Look, it's... Pretty predictable that all the prototypes we do, security is the first step and first foundation. And that was no exception in the case of this NBLA prototype. So we're talking about um, fan submitted short reaction audio video loops, right? So um, that, you know, that sort of content has to be protected. So we kept it in region. We used uh, a Lambda-based uh, serverless event-driven media processing pipeline, all the storages in, in encrypted S3 buckets, and the fan portal was delivered through WAF, CloudFront, and um, Cognito. Tony, now that security wasn't just about the bookmaker requirements, right? You also have to look after the broadcast requirements, and you're doing these live, right? So you want the content to be appropriate for a family audience, I suppose. That's correct. So uh, we had two primary imperatives here, and one was to create a high level of a fan engagement, and the other was to obviously create a product that was visually stimulating and engaging. So challenge number one was um, how do we aggregate a large number of people into the LED screens, um, have them uh, appearing in a live uh, broadcast in free-to-air television. Um, uh, We had the opportunity with uh, partners, international broadcast partners, so this content would not only run in Australia, it would run overseas. Um, So that was a very... A very important aspect is the fact that we needed to stay within broadcasting laws of what actually went to air. Um, And then the second aspect was fan engagement. In other words, how do we get a large number of people who are actively engaged in that live uh, broadcast, how do we get them engaging with the players or with the commentators? And so there there were two... Two challenges that uh, Martin and his team needed to uh, needed to overcome from the live broadcast aspect, because in in that particular instance, we have we wouldn't have the ability to moderate a large number of people, mm-hmm. uh, and and that became the challenge that the team had to uh, had to solve. What did you do to solve that one, Martin? Yeah, so like Tony said, there's there's the two sides to this coin. There's the the fan facing interaction. And then there's the the broadcast side where you have to take all the fan submitted content and turn it into a coherent live broadcast. So that meant talking to directly with their live broadcast partner. And they were great in getting us hooked up with them. And this partner was 
really generous with their time and helped us understand what the the, the control room in the in the live game stadium would look like and how they operated it and how they dealt with all the feeds coming in and out and dealing with sending video to the the big LED screens um, and so on. So we had to develop a second portal, which was the control room portal, and that was a really interesting challenge. It, you know, the obvious thing is to build a, essentially a virtual velvet rope so that the operators in the control room can see all the the fan content coming in. We use Transcribe to to uh, generate t- text captions for the fan submitted questions so that the control room operators didn't have to play the videos to see if they contained, for example, profanities or other inappropriate content. But there was also the technical challenge there of making a web browser control room portal happily talk to broadcast quality HDMI feeds that could be plugged directly into LED screens that would then have overlays of ads potentially, all that stuff. That's mm-hmm. Doing that from a web browser is not really been done a lot. So we decided to take advantage of a new presentation API that was just been released into the browser as, as something you can do from a web page. And that worked. Actually, it was a bit of a risk because it's a new API, but we've got a full multi-user control room content portal happening, which could pump straight to a broadcast quality feed. Well, that, And that's one of the things we do in prototyping, right? We experiment, we sometimes mm-hmm. take risks, sometimes they don't yes. work out and sometimes they do, right? And Yeah, so far so good. So for the players... We've got, Tony, you described this five meter by surrounding three sides of the court. So they're seeing their fans, they're hearing their fans. You're getting that excitement and enthusiasm for the players. And then you talked about that engagement with the fans asking questions. And and Martin talked about how we're using some of our natural language processing services to automatically see the questions as they come in. You're in the control room. Tell us a little bit more about that part. The fan engagement is, uh, from a visual point of view, um, on the studio floor, on the court for the players, is critical. They want to feel like they're not in a sterile environment. And so the the, the aggregation of a large number of uh, crowd cheering, um, exciting moments and, and being there as a part of the backdrop of, uh, of the performance uh, was critical um, and it was achieved efficiently. The other aspect is being able to to layer some colour um, through the engagement of fans into the broadcast, and what that uh, what that effectively uh, does is probably more so than we even do now in our current broadcasts. Is it, is it creates a closer tie between the tribal instincts of fans and their teams and their their hero players. So that is is really as Martin said, it's the process that we step through. We, we we created the ability to achieve that, but then to integrate that into a live broadcast. Um, uh, we had uh, a company, um, our, our LED supplier was uh, MediaTek, so we, they had a full operation centre down on the studio floor. Um, so what we were doing needed to integrate with that. Um, however, it was all driven by the control room. And in the control room, uh, it's, it's like any sporting event. It's uh, very hectic. Um, it's it's pressured environment. Um, people don't have a lot of time to make a lot of decisions and therefore the efficiency of being able to um, not only preview a, a, a viewer question or a fan question, uh, but it's also having a, uh, having a text 
printout of uh, of the actual question mm. in real time gave us the opportunity very quickly to ascertain whether that question was uh, able to be used uh, from a broadcasting point of view, but secondly, whether it was relevant. Um, sport moves on very quickly, so we needed to be able to bank questions. We needed to be, be able to access those questions quickly, but we needed to be able to effectively dump those questions if the moment in time had passed. Um, so it was a, uh, it was a, I'd like to say a very simplified, and that and that belittles the work that's gone into it. But it was a very simplified operating system for the control room, which made it very, very achievable for us to use. Simple truth miscalled simplicity, as they say. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, we like simple solutions because they can be quite powerful, can't they? And and as you mentioned, that time criticality of of uh, being able to make a decision that's relevant and appropriate. Martin, you talked a little bit about, you know, some of those early pivots we had to make in the engagement and and in any kind of experimentation, any prototype, we come to these questions. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of those hurdles you had to overcome? Yeah, it's because we go in to to a prototype focusing on a business challenge, not a prescriptive technical approach. There's always a good chance that um, some practical limitations of the context will come and you'll have to completely change the way you tackle the problem. And that was the case here. It's really, like, I have to say, it's rarely the technical challenges that are an issue. I mean, mm. we're, we're all experienced engineers with working with some amazing technology and, and technical problems are, even in a short time frame, like a few weeks, they're usually quite tractable. You can deal with them. But in this case, it was the latency of the live feed to the to the betting agencies meant we had to really be creative around delivering cumulative live sounding buzz and real human reactions into a stadium that were not actually live streams. How do you do that? That was the, t- the pivoting kind of creative challenge that we faced at the start. Um, and I think I think we got something that worked well. Awesome. Tony, where are we now? What's happening in uh, national basketball in Australia and what are your plans? Well, we unfortunately, due to the COVID lockdowns, which were quite stringent here in Australia over the past months, our, our 3x3 tournament um, has not taken place. Uh, it mm. was the key driver for this uh, this development this innovation but it but it, it hasn't come to fruition but what's what's happened now is that we've created a product that we think we can integrate into our uh, regular season of the National Basketball League traditionally that would start in October the first weekend in October um, mm. and run for six months through to March uh, because of uh, COVID restrictions and, and border uh, closures uh, across Australian states we're unable to move teams around. Um, so we've delayed the start of the next season until the end of January 20, uh, 2021. Okay. Um, and, uh, and what we will be doing there is um, creating what we, we term as a, a pod and a hub model, whereby um, we will be playing some games in those states that we can move teams into. Uh, and then we'll be playing part of the season in a in a hub in a single city where all teams will come in and uh, and be based there. But what that does is, um, you know, through adverse times, uh, innovation um, always pops up. And I think the development that we've created with the uh, prototyping team now becomes quite a relevant part of the the next season of broadcast for the NBL. And in particular, it's not so much the aggregation of fans. If we can be in arenas with live crowds 
rods, we we wouldn't have the need for the uh, the aggregated um, uh, fan, the visuals of the fans, but the questions from fans. It's that level of engagement we actually haven't had before. Um, and that will become a, I think, a very um, critical part, not only in our in our social media uh, side of the business, but it actually almost moves that immediacy of social media into the broadcast realm. And that is something we haven't actually had before. So that's a that's a for me a wonderful innovation, and it's something that I think is going to change not only the NBL but many sports moving forward. The ability to do this. It will be exciting to see where you take that, Tony. You know, whenever we're doing this kind of fast-paced experimentation, Martin, there's always some takeaway. There's always some information or surprises that, that you found along the way. What was your biggest learning here as you reflect on this experience? It wasn't a technical thing. It was, I suppose, around uh, expanding my perspective. So just seeing the resilience and how on the front foot a customer, in this case NVLA, were in dealing with the challenge. They weren't. They didn't sort of sit back and go, "Oh my goodness, this is a terribly intractable problem." They took it as an opportunity to bring forward their their plans to broaden engagement with their fans. And then seeing customers really being open to technical stuff and, and innovative ways of tackling a hard problem is personally very encouraging to me. It really, it, I find that very motivating. Tony, how about you? Final takeaways from this experience and prototyping? There are several points. The process was much more efficient than I thought it might have been. And and that was, I think, just due to the um, the open mind and the transparent discussions that took place between uh, the NBL and, um, and AWS prototyping team. Um, we were always open, honest, and, um, and feedback was regular, and there was a constant collaboration. So that made the process feel like it was much more efficient. Um, mm. One of the surprises, I think, that came out the back end of this, um, you know, I, we, we got a product we can use. That was fantastic. Um, and it's a product that I think will grow into the future. It can have further developments. It will become uh, potentially, for, for me, for my side of the business being broadcast, is it, it, it has a potential um, advantage point for me for the future for, uh, for, for, for building a broadcast product. But um, it also feeds our a hungry beast of the social media machine within the context of the NBL. But the surprising point off the back end was affordability. Quite often we develop products or we go down a, a certain pathway and and, and, uh, and that pathway is quite often um, doesn't result in, uh, in, in a practical solution uh, because of cost. Uh, sure. The surprising point out of this is we went down this pathway. We've created a product and the ability to operate this product en masse through hundreds of games a season, um, through you know hours and hours and hours of uh, content in any given day, um, was surprisingly affordable. So um, the, the running costs are, are, are great. It delivers for us a high level of engagement. Um, and uh, and, and that's, that was one of the key imperatives for us. But I guess my greatest takeaway out of all of this is that uh, through difficult times, through our challenging COVID times, through the lockdowns, through the ability to move people around the country and our players and and having largely the potential of a detached audience, what we've created is a high level of engagement. And I, I, I think that's a, a wonderful outcome for this product. And, um, and finally, 
I touched on it earlier about the ease of this. It was actually a particularly fast turnaround. Um, we had six to eight weeks from um, from a first introduction to product development and uh, and delivery. And it's a testimony to the way the teams worked together, but it's also, you know, I think a, a, a testimony to the, the clinical thinking of Martin and his team that could fit into and cohesively bring together the, the visual ideas we had created way back at the start in that single promo that we had created. It's wonderful that that rapid experimentation and ability to really execute on your vision quickly is exciting. And we'll look forward to watching the 2021 season with some of this enhanced engagement technology. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking, Tony, is that even beyond COVID, you've created this experience that is now potentially going to be accessible to fans who otherwise um, might not have had the ability to participate live for mobility or accessibility challenges that they might have. And so you've created, hopefully broadened your community and created more inclusive engagement for your fans. That's correct, Sarah. We've broken down the barriers of access and that's how you grow a brand. That's how you grow your sporting code. That's how you grow your engagement. That's how you allow fans to celebrate, to connect with their heroes of the sports. So it, it, it has it has literally broken down the barriers and, and that's a fantastic outcome. It's wonderful to hear. Well, thank you, Tony, for being with us in the studio today, virtually. Um, really appreciate you sharing your story with us. My pleasure. And I, again, a great thanks to the uh, prototyping team. Absolutely. Martin, thank you for being with us. Great to catch up with Tony as well. Thank you, Sarah. All right. Thank you all. I'd like to thank our listeners for coming on today's journey with us. Innovation Ambassadors is a production of the AWS Media Series. Look for future episodes of our vodcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite streaming platform. If you have ideas for future episodes or comments on this one, send us a tweet at hashtag AWS Innovation Ambassadors and share your thoughts. Thank you.